This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 401. One of the big things of stoicism I like is just the emotional intelligence. Am I looking at this rationally? How can I look at this from a different perspective? You know, the view from above, kind of having this chronological view instead of just being impulsive and stressing out about little things. The way to stop struggling with the expectations you face at work and at home is by fundamentally changing the way you process what's happening in your life. That middle edge that sets elite athletes apart will help you become the champion leader you want to be. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. This show began out of my belief that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Through this podcast, I'll help highlight the books you need to be paying attention to, and I'll bring you the key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And today we get two authors for the price of one. In a moment, we'll sit down together with Jim Aframo and Phil White, authors of the new book, The Leader's Mind, How Great Leaders Prepare, Perform, and Prevail. I'm going to ask Jim and Phil to share about how to get into the minds of your people and get them past their fears. The importance of lifelong learning and knowing yourself, the key principles of stoicism that all leaders should embrace, and plenty more. You know, one thing you don't have to convince me to embrace is opportunities to save money. I have one of those opportunities for you right now, courtesy our sponsor, and that is Scriptco at scriptco.com, S C R I P T C O. They ask, wouldn't it be nice if your prescription meds arrived on time every month, neatly packaged on your doorstep? And wouldn't it be great if you were actually saving money for that convenience? Scriptco is the first online pharmacy that puts into your hands the power of wholesale medicine and home delivery. After all, why let insurance companies decide how much you're going to pay for those medications, right? At Scriptco, they've cut out the middleman and given the power, 100% of it, to you. They shop around for the absolute lowest price anywhere on the medicine you need without the insurance price hike. Then they send the best deal to your door. And with a Scriptco membership, you save big with access to wholesale prices on your generic medications. To see how much you could be saving right now, check out their free savings calculator at Scriptco.com. Again, that's S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com. And because you listen to Read to Lead, you can save even more. You get $25 off your initial membership when you use the code READ25. That's R-E-A-D-2-5. So visit them now. See how much money you can save. Scriptco, S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com. Jim Aframo is a much sought after mental skills coach, licensed professional counselor, co-founder of The Champion's Mind and the author of The Champion's Mind, The Champion's Comeback and The Young Champion's Mind. For over 20 years, Dr. Aframo has assisted numerous high school, collegiate, recreational and professional athletes. In addition, he has mentally trained several U.S. and international Olympic competitors. Phil White is an Emmy-nominated writer and the co-author of The 17-Hour Fast with Dr. Frank Merritt, Waterman 2.0 with Kelly Starrett, and Unplugged with Andy Galpin and Brian McKenzie. Their new book together is called The Leader's Mind, How Great Leaders Prepare, Perform, and Prevail. And I'm delighted to welcome them to the Read to Lead podcast. Jim, Phil, uh, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate having you. Thanks so much, Jeff. We, uh, we're happy to be here. Thank you, sir. Well, I want to start by asking you, how do you two guys from these very different backgrounds manage to come together 
uh, to write a book and sort of secondary to that, what was the process like? Phil, I'm going to start with you on that question. Thank you. Well, um, Jim and I had done a, an email interview together back in the day for some publication. I can't remember. It was probably Sup the Mag, which is the stand-up paddle boarding or was in the Surfer Magazine group um, that I wrote for, for for many years and you know got to know the Laird Hamiltons, the Kai Lennies of the world through that, Dave Kalama and some other people have become great friends. And so um, I was also writing for for a train heroic. Um, so the company has training peaks, which I still write for on the endurance side and then train train heroic. So really online coaching software. And I, I had pitched successfully a story on youth sports. And so I had Chris Bell who directed trophy kids on, you know, the story of bad sports parents. Um, I talked to Chris winter about kids sleep. And then, you know, when I was, they said, well, why don't you do a sports psych or mindset one? And uh, so obviously Jim, you know, is the cream of the crop in, in sports psychology and also counseling. And so mm. I interviewed him for that. And he said, Hey, you know, at the end, um, this was great. Could you stay on for a few minutes? I have a few upcoming projects and, you know, I think it'd be fun to team up. And so really that was the, the genesis of our partnership. And now we've probably got 50 years worth of books planned out. Um, <laughs> the, the soon to be launched champions conversation, um, champions conversations podcast. And, mm. uh, yeah, just really, uh, it's great to be able to to do good things with yourself with solo authoring, as you know. And um, but to uh, to steal an analogy from Laird Hamilton in the documentary, Laird he said, uh, you know, alone I could have ridden some pretty good waves, but together, you know, in his case, it's with Derek Dorner, with Dave Kalama, with what they used to call the Strat Crew, at, um, that really started pioneering that wave riding on Jaws and toe surfing and foil boarding that you see everywhere, stand up paddle boarding. Together, we've been able to ride so many great waves and. And I think Jim and I are riding some pretty fun ways ourselves now. Awesome. That uh, Related to that, Jim, I want to ask you, uh, having experienced a similar journey myself, having co-written a book, I've had experts after the fact tell me things like, why did you, why did you co-write a book? That's like the hardest way to do it. Was that your experience with your co-author, uh, even though he's sitting here and you, <laughs> listening to what you're going to respond with? Or was it like mine? Was it, uh, was it pretty, pretty pleasant? It sounds like it was. What's great about working with Phil is, you know, we really just, you know, it was so natural. And mm. I've had a lot of experience working with teams and universities. And, you know, I was the sports psychologist for the San Francisco Giants. I was at Arizona State University for a long time. And then I got into my own private practice work full time. And I really missed that, you know, being part of something special and working closely with others and, you know, practicing the things that I was learning about leadership and teamwork. And so mm. Phil wrote, actually wrote a, an amazing book on Winston Churchill and uh, Winston Churchill is a, is a, you know, I'm a big fan of him. And mm. um, so I'm thinking, man, this guy is, uh, is smart. Uh, he's into sports and he's very psychologically minded and he could write his tail off. So, you know, I jumped on that and we're just having a ball. We're having a lot of fun, uh, teaming up on these various projects and working on the book was, uh, uh you know, just kind of a dream come true. Uh, I toiled away at my first three books, the champion's mind, the champions come back and, and, mm. and the young champion's mind. And man, that would have been a much better experience if Phil was on board for those three books and they would have turned out much better. <laughs> well, one of the things I like about the book Diving In is that uh, we study, you, you study uh, leaders from all walks of life. I mean, we've got, we've got surgeons, we've got coaches, we've got athletes, we've got pilots. And the first chapter starts us off with someone who's in a position of leadership, dealing with things that most people don't have to deal with. And that's like literal out of control fires. What did, and I'll put this to you, Jim, what did you learn about interviewing Nick 
about how you know he he was able to get into the minds of his crew and and get them past their initial fears when when they're new at this and, and coming at this from from no experience. Yeah, uh, Nick Peters is a really special guy, and and he was so generous in terms of sharing his hard earned wisdom on this topic. And uh, I know Phil will chime in as well. We enjoyed interviewing him, but you know uh, one of the things that he said, you know, when we started talking with them, is that leadership can be summed up as just be a good person, and so you're really looking out for everyone's well being on your team. And, you know, so what's the next step? And, and the next step is, you know, he talks about communication is life. And so he really wants to get to know the people that work with him, you know, instead of, you know, really looking at them as they work for me. Uh, they're not productivity machines. They're, they're all in it to win it. And so he gets to know them really well. And I think two things that he does really well, number one is in terms of the US Forest Service, there are four key principles. Well, there are three key principles that he uses mm. in terms of duty, integrity, and respect. And so everything comes back to that. And, you know, in terms of what's your job, you know, are you are you walking the talk? And then are you respecting the job and, and everyone that you work with? And so I think that's mm. really important. And then the second thing, he does an amazing job with after action reviews. And so, you know, after battling a fire, they're going to get together and he, for a period of reevaluation in terms of four simple questions, you know, what was planned, you know, what actually happened, it's usually different. Why did it happen? And what can we do better next time? And so I really like that process that he mm. leads them through. And they do it so collaboratively that so one of the things that he does is he lets his crew uh, lead it and they switch off in terms of who's going to lead it. So everyone's involved. And one of the reasons he does that is he wants to eventually help promote them. And so they got to get used to speaking in front of others. So I, I, I really like that idea. And then, you know, one more quick thing is he really makes sure that the job fits their quality, you know, their qualifications. So you know, he's never going to set someone up for failure. So if this guy's, you know, a little bit green, he's going to make sure that he starts in an area that he's going to have success at, and then he can slowly build up his confidence and, and his skills. And so I really like that instead of throwing him in the fire, literally, you know, and, or figuratively, and then, and then setting up for failure, which is, you know, going to really destroy that person's confidence. Just really thinking about the well-being of everyone, I think is the gist. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the NBA and have followed Steve Kerr's career for some time. I, I think you guys mentioned that he's what, about five championships between player and being a coach, I believe. Uh, Phil, I'll throw this to you. How, how uh, did you see his experiences interviewing him and his friendships, his relationships? How did those things come together to prepare him to be at that level, both on the court as a player and then as a coach? Yeah, um, unfortunately, we didn't have direct access to Steve at the time, which is uh, hoping to interview him uh, with Tim DeFrancesco for uh, Basketball Strong Soon and right. Jim and I for, for Champion Conversations. But that chapter in the Daniel Lebetsky, we kind of wrote as uh, as kind of fanboys, I guess you could say, from afar. <laughs> as two, you know, we were just brainstorming who who impresses us. Yeah, and. Steve learned under the tutelage of one of the best college basketball coaches in history. So everyone knows John Wooden, but someone of a similar era, a little bit later, is Lute Olson. And also his wife, just an amazing leader and, you know, would help really instill core values in, in these young men. And they took Steve Kerr in, essentially, after his father was murdered um, in the Middle East. He was president of American University in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And somebody, you know, dissidents broke in and killed him. Um, just horrific. And 
you know, I think that was a, a later a bond between him and Michael Jordan in that obviously what happened to Michael's fa- father, James, God bless him and God rest his soul as well. So learning how to be a man from somebody the caliber of Luke Olson and Luke Olson's wife set Steve Kerr up. And I recently heard from Judd Bushler, who people may know as winning three championships, you know, on that Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson team. So Michael's second three-peat. Steve was able to pour back into Judd what Luke Olsen had poured into him. And they overlapped one year. So Judd was a freshman. Steve was a senior. But even Judd had a chance to go to Europe and start and make a lot more money. Because people don't realize, like a lot of the clubs that own Real Madrid, own some of the biggest soccer clubs, actually under the same parent company are the big European basketball teams. And this is where Nikola Jokic... Luka Doncic, and before then, Bargnani, Tony Parker come out of. And this is a really high level of basketball, which is why these teams have pushed Team USA so hard in recent Olympics and World Championships. Mm. So anyway, Kerr himself, he was poured into by, by Lou Dolson. His parents were very intelligent, both academics, um, and also very principled people. And then also, Jim always says... First, embrace your role and then commit to excellence in your role. Be the best in your role. And John Paxson was... So we, we see Steve Kerr pouring into Judd Bouchard. I mentioned Lou Olson's influence. But he identified John Paxson as, this is me. This is me for mm-hmm. you know three, four, five, seven years down the track. I want to be John, but then I want to be Steve in John's role. And we saw that. They both hit basically championship winning shots where Jordan trusted both of those guys enough. And also people look at Steve Kerr next to a Jordan or a Pippen or a Robin and think, oh, he's a small guy, whatever. But as we found out in the last dance, and you may know as an NBA fan before that, mm. him and Jordan came to blows in a practice. And while Jordan might say he won the fight, Steve Kerr like smacked him and got up in his chest and would not back down, even though Michael had probably 60 pounds and five or six inches on him. (laughs) Steve Kerr is a scrapper. He's a fighter and he's a learner. Jeff Van Gundy taught him how to start compiling notes. And then Pete Carroll was the one that, that instilled in him the need to identify four core values. So Kerr sits down with his wife, with Ron Adams and with Bruce Fraser, and they come up with these values. And one of them is joy. Then they tied it to a statistic. We want 300 passes a game because the guys will be Mm. more joyful and more bought in if we can lead the NBA in passing. And he learned this from Greg Popovich in San Antonio and Phil Jackson and Tex Winner of the Triangle Offense in Chicago. Then they started to get some more advanced stats. Well, how many passes do we want per quarter and this kind of thing? So he was able to take a very people-focused approach. Lou Dolson, Pete Carroll, Phil Jackson, um, John Paxson, all these folks who had poured into him, and then he poured them out into Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. The reason the Warriors is successful, yes, it helps to have two or three of the greatest shooters in history, a savage leader in Draymond Green. But Steve Kerr is a lover of people mm. and a a true servant leader. That is why they he is successful as a player. He won five championships, three of the Bulls, two of the Spurs, and that is why... Had it not been for Clay's injury, Durant's injury, it would have been, and they choked, frankly, against the Cavs, it would have been four championships as a coach. Now they're back on top in the West. So yeah, who Mm. is pouring it? Who can you find to pour into your life as a mentor so that you can then mentor others? Yeah, you talk about the choking, and they were up three games to nothing on the Cavs, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, three one or something or like that. Yeah. But yeah. and I mean, LeBron's greatness did take. Uh, he basically took that team, put him on yeah. his back, and let. Let's not diminish <laughs> that he's the best player since Michael Jordan. Yeah. But 
not to take anything away from him or say that the Warriors threw it away because they were still fighting hard. But mm. yeah, who can you find? There's there's a great, yeah, who who is, there's a book around this right now about who, right? Who, who is the person? Mm. I got Anwar McQueen, who've started Team Inc. Check him out at teaminc.org. He played with Jason Kidd and Sharif Abdurrahim at Cal Berkeley. He said that the best book he's read in the last few years is this book, Who. Who, who do you know? Who do you know from high school? that can pour into you, that can help you get to that next level? Who might you be able to help expecting nothing in return? Who? Who is that person? Who are those people to to pour into you and then for you to pour into others? I want to comment both of you with this next one, and I'll leave it up to you as to who begins. But I think most of us are uh, familiar with the story of, of, of Captain Sully and, and landing a plane on, on the Hudson. I think fewer of us are familiar with, with what Tammy Jo Schultz accomplished. Uh, what would you say she attributes her ability to, to take control of a plane suffering not only from a failed engine, but damaged fuselage and, and land it safely? I mean, this is just amazing. My wife's friend and former colleague, Arlene Fender, landed the interview. So Tammy Jo and I both went to Mid-American Nazarene University, where before he passed, my, my father-in-law, John taught uh, John Stevens, taught math and was VP of finance. And my wife worked in her dad's office back in high school. And then again, when we had kids work part-time again in that finance office afterwards. And so Arlene was one of the member of that team and her best friend in college. Um, they both, She was an 83 graduate of MNU, was Tammy Jo Schultz. So all the credit goes to Arlene not and to my wife, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, through you, but... Um... Yeah, say more about that. She was so fun, and, and and we interviewed her and her husband. And her husband was actually supposed to fly that day, which is a fascinating kind of you uh, know story that most people don't know. And she uh, took over. Yeah, say more about that, Phil. Wasn't she fantastic? Yeah, she was great. So they had a kids event, and you know they tried to kind of tag team that the uh, the parenting when they're both captains. For they were you know both captains. Tammy Joe recently retired from Southwest Airlines, but uh, yeah, and so it was like, no, I'll take this one, so you can go to the game or the track meet or whatever. And it would have been Dean flying that plane, but I think it would have been the same outcome. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, you know, I, I've got to admit that <laughs> rugby is not at the top of my list of sports that I follow, if I'm being honest. But I did enjoy reading about another Nick. Uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the uh, New Zealand All Blacks. Um, you guys mentioned that that other books have tried to offer third party observations about what drives the team's leadership principles and dedication to excellence. But but Nick gives some some real uh, insight into into that, doesn't he, Phil? Yeah. So not to mention the name of the book because it's great. But there was a photographer who did an unauthorized book, and mm. if he showed up at the All Blacks now, he might have some problems with some very <laughs> strong, large men. Whereas ours literally went through. Nick has been strength and conditioning coach there through multiple World Cup, through through two World Cup wins, through the captaincy of Richie McCaw, arguably the greatest rugby player of all time. Coach Steve Hansen, now coach Ian Foster. And so this was authorized. It went through the, the the structure. He reviewed it. The All Blacks gave it their blessing. So yeah, anyone that's read a certain one uh, one word titled book, which again, there's nothing wrong with the book and there's nothing wrong with the guy. We don't know the guy. He did an amazing job. But if you want an authorized account of how the New Zealand All Blacks became and maintain 
their status as not just the best team in rugby, but the best national team in team sports history. Almost mm. a 90% win ratio. This is the chapter. This is the true insider's view. Jim, any thoughts on on Nick's leadership and the All Blacks? How, they, how do they sustain excellence, Jim, in, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, both feed in. I mean, everything mm. they do, they do to the max. And, um, you know, it's easy to get to the top of the mountain, but then you got to keep climbing. And it's kind of a, a little Zen little idea there. But uh, I love how they're just always trying to get better and then also always trying to get to know each other better. So it's, it really is a true family. It's one thing to get there, one thing to stay there. You got to keep doing the things that got you there in the first place, right? Well, we talked about Tammy Jo Schultz earlier, and, and gosh, that's that's a high-pressure situation to land that plane in, in those circumstances. But when it comes to jobs that involve sort of ongoing high-pressure You'd be hard pressed to, to to name something higher up the the list than neurosurgeon. And Jim, talk about the reasons for the emphasis that Katrina Furlick places on things like lifelong learning, which I'm a big fan of, and and, and just knowing yourself. Yeah, uh, two great questions. So she, uh, I actually read her book years ago. It's called uh, Another Day in the Frontal Lobe, and uh, it's a great title. And uh, <laughs> And uh, it, it's interesting as a sports psychologist and a, and a licensed professional counselor, I'm sort of a surrogate frontal lobe for for clients and patients mm. dealing with crisis and, you know, to help them think through and process and, and get back on track again. But yeah, uh, when Phil and I were interviewing her, so I always thought, man, it would be interesting to kind of peer inside her mind and uh, in her head and get to learn about, you know, her mindset, her leadership and, and teamwork skills in that environment. And so what I really loved about her is, as you said, she has this amazing growth mindset and she she said she loves being on the steep part of the learning curve. I, I, I like mm. that a lot. And so, you know, that could be uh, new operations and the mastery of technique, but also moving from neurosurgery to the role of entrepreneur. And so um, she's has a startup and a co-founder of Health Prize Technologies. And so uh, acquiring new, you know, new language, new skills, new experiences. She loves that. She embraces that. And it keeps her on her toes. It keeps things fresh. Mm. Now, in terms of knowing herself, what I really like is that she knows who she is and she knows who she wants to be. And she and a lot of these, you know, maybe female pioneers in neurosurgery uh, helped pave the way for her. But she felt like, you know, the early ones had to put on this, this, these airs of like, this is, you know, I'm supposed to be kind of like a male in the you know, whatever that means, traditional male in the operating right. room. And she's like, no, I, I want to be more feminine and, you know, and have a sense of humor and not not feel like people have to walk around eggshells around me, mm. you know, whatever I say, and and just more collaborative. And, and, you know, so I really like her approach. It's just a friendly approach. And and she wants to be herself. She doesn't want to pretend to be a man or what, what she thinks that she should be. And so mm. she's very uh, genuine. We use the term authenticity a lot, you know, obviously in the leadership world. Mm. And, and she really tries to live that. And I think that's why people love working with Another chapter, chapter six, has a, another a coaching example, I think for good reason, because they, they motivate, they shape attitudes, they shape mindsets. Uh, I've had some great coaches in, in my history and some great leaders, certainly. Um, Jim, talk about the humble beginnings that you share about uh, Paul Ratliff, I believe it is, and the impact of those humble beginnings on his, his leadership style at Stanford. So he's the Paul Ratcliffe is the is the winningest coach in Stanford history, men's or women's soccer. They won three national championships, you know, just too many awards to 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 list right now or who'd run out of time. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's from uh, Leeds in the north of England, near near where I think where Phil is from originally. OK. And uh, as you can tell by Phil's accent. Uh, but um, yeah, what I really found fascinating about him when Phil and I interviewed him is his dad was just this go getter and, you know, go, go, go. And, you know, intense and 
you know, full systems go kind of deal where mom was a little bit more like, Hey, take a day off, you know, relax, you know, enjoy yourself. Everything's fine. And Mm -hmm. so what he's done is he's really taken the best of both those worlds and applied it to working with uh, the Stanford student athletes. And so, and then in terms of self-care for himself, so he'll, you know, he'll, when he's on, he's on hundred percent, you know, everything else goes in his mental locker. And then when he gets home and he's around his family, he's where his family is and really enjoying their presence. Excellent. Uh, I want to come to you one more time, Jim, before I finish with, with Phil, if I may, you guys are a big fan of stoicism as am I, I read from Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic, every morning I have for 689 straight days now, going for the uh, two full years by the end of, <laughs> of 2021. Uh, what are some of the key principles of Stoicism that you believe that leaders should embrace? Uh, well, the, the chapter on Marcus Aurelius and, and, and Stoicism uh, just fascinated both Phil and I in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, here's the guy that's the most powerful person on earth, you know, when he was the leader of Rome and, and yet he never took advantage of that. And instead of pointing fingers or, you know, walking around, you know, like he's better than everyone, Mm. he would look more at himself and say, well, wait a minute, before you start pointing fingers and, you know, in the sports world, sometimes we call it, you know, be a thumb guy, you know, like (laughs) point at yourself, not at others. Mm. Extreme ownership. Yeah. What Jocko and Leaf call extreme ownership, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was extreme ownership 2000 years ago. And, (laughs) and, but I really love just, you know, one of the big things of stoicism I like is just the emotional intelligence. Am I looking at this rationally? How can I look at this from a different perspective? perspective, you know, the view from above, kind of having this Mm. chronological view instead of just being impulsive and stressing out about little things. And so kind of putting things in perspective. So I really like that. And then one of the principles, obviously, of of stoicism from Epictetus is control the controllables. And, you know, that's a buzzword in in sports psychology, but, and, Mm. and we all know that control, you know, I can't control that. So why worry about it? Or I can control this. So then focus on that. But how often do we really live that? And, and he really right. lived that, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I had never heard of Daniel Lubetsky, Phil, before I read your book, but was mm. fascinated uh, by his story. Can you share a bit about his mission-driven yeah. leadership philosophy and a bit about his background? So again, we did ask a representative at his company if he was available and he was not. You know, um, My wife mm. and my kids and I first came across him as a guest on Shark Tank. You know, He's sitting there. With Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, with Mark Cuban, Barbara Corcoran, oh, Laurie okay. Grenier, Damon John, the rest. And we love all of those folks for various reasons, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a, an old Dallas Mavericks fan. Nicole and I, when we were first married, used to buy 16 or $18 tickets <laughs> during the, the Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki glory days and Michael Finley and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Love Mark's. Mark is not a typical NBA owner. And other than Steve Barmer, I can't think of anyone else who's always at every home game and just has such a great... If you saw Luka Doncic's buzzer beater winner from earlier this year, he's the first one on the court to rush him and, you know, kind of bum rush him at the end of the game and just a passionate guy. But, um, you know, as much as we love all the other entrepreneurs and um, that come on the show and those that they're trying to get deals from, Lebetsky just has this quiet gravitas about him, this this mm. almost calming presence, like an honorary uncle. Um, <laughs> and my wife's, you know, relative Mickey is uh, is a youth pastor and kind of has this same demeanor. Like we we miss him now. We're in Colorado and he recently moved take a new job in Florida. And we were like, man, I, I need some Mickey comfort. Like maybe we should fly him out here for a few days. And, and Daniel has that same, same air about him, but kind is a more than billion dollar business founded on the idea of what it's called kindness. Mm. And 
you know, Lebetsky's story. So it starts in the darkest of darks in the holo- in the Holocaust. Um, right. You know, more than seven million people annihilated. You know, first ostracized as a second class citizen, being a Jew, not mm. just in Germany but in the other countries around them. Um, and before that, you know, pogroms and horrible things in history too. And Lebetsky's family was Jewish, so you know, his father and grandfather managed to survive the Holocaust. Um, an army division liberated the camp they were in before they perished, and thank God they did. Emigrated to Mexico and eventually to the U.S. And he said to his dad one time, "Like, why are you always giving money to these homeless guys? Like." you know, what if they're cheating you? What if they're, and we see this, you know, we see this in Evergreen right by our house every day. And he said, you know, Daniel, I would rather give money to somebody who didn't need it than the reverse, right? And these Mm. life lessons were instilled in him from a very early age. And now you combine this with someone who basically created their first business when they were in grade school with their cousin and put on magic shows (laughs) for family and then turn this into a business and then started selling watches in the mall and had one of those little pop-up stalls before that was even a thing, mm. um, made it successful. And, you know, so he learned life lessons from his father about how to be a man in this world and how to be a godly man, but mm. also how to be an entrepreneur and just have this hunger for entrepreneurship. So he starts a business. He goes to the Windsor Fellowship, goes to the, to the Middle East and manages to find a way to unite people of all faiths from different countries, small producers, and creates this business around product from the Middle East slash the Mediterranean. And a version of that company is still going today. Mm. But the, the, the aim behind that first company was, I want to bring Christians, Jews, Hindus, Muslims, people that don't profess a faith or would call themselves agnostic or atheist. I want to just bring them together and business might be a way to do that in a more subtle way than politics Mm. and across these divides. And then eventually this became the philosophy underpinning kind bar. So their acts of kindness program, like out of all big companies, I look at a lot of jumping on the bandwagon with giving to nonprofits as a virtue signal kind was founded on giving back on community and on bridging gaps between people of different backgrounds, beliefs, and so Daniel Lebetsky is the one-man army that started that, that put it into practice, and really has created a legacy to his grandfather, his father, and all those 7 million-plus Jews that were lost in the Holocaust of, this is a better way to live and to treat people. And my goodness, like in politics mm-hmm. right now, in phrases like a plague of the unvaccinated that are wildly irresponsible and are creating two classes of citizens in this country or attempting to. I was just thinking of that. It's not a left or right thing. It's a freedom versus tyranny. It's a togetherness versus divisiveness. We need Daniel Lebet's voice. Buy his book about the the finding of Kindbar. Like if you don't read anything else before Christmas um, or you want a gift to buy someone that you care about, buy Daniel Lebetsky's book. Mm. Get an inside view of what it means to have a true heart for people and to want to use whatever talents, and, and you know, in his case, entrepreneurship you have to bring people together. And that is the heart of your company. Values are at the heart of your company. It's not an add-on so you can virtue signal on social media. No, I'm so glad you said that. I was just thinking that as you were talking about that very 
issue that you laid out and didn't, didn't know if I was going to be brave enough to say it, but now I don't have to because you did it for me. Because <laughs> I don't care because it's the truth. It's the yeah. truth. You cannot come out with sayings that are based on propaganda statements from tyrannical regimes mm. and hope to lead or unite a country. And it's not a left or right thing. I'm not political at all. Yeah. It is a togetherness versus divisiveness issue and how mm. you speak it and how you live it mean more than irresponsible political slogans. So mm. let us look at a Daniel Lebetsky. Let us look at the extreme ownership of Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Let us look at these folks and try to do likewise. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, I encourage everyone to dig into these stories more fully by buying the book. I certainly enjoyed it uh, and love how each chapter is laid out where we have the lessons learned. And then you guys come in and expound on those lessons throughout the telling of the various stories. Uh, before we wrap things up, I mean, I tried to dip our toes in the water of each chapter just a little bit. Anything you guys want to add that I didn't, we didn't touch on, that I didn't ask about, Jim, anything uh, that uh, you'd like to make sure we know before we, we wrap up? Yeah, I'm just thinking about uh, eating a kind bar right now. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. I haven't eaten hungry. anything today. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, Phil got me hungry talking about that. I need my kind bar and my scoop of Hana One like right now. Okay. Uh, what, what I would add, though, uh, uh, seriously, is that uh, you don't have to brave it alone, you know, leadership is is a mm. wilderness, and 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 so having these role models in the book uh, from from different fields and you know different achievement domains, I think is really powerful. And I encourage people to you know, as Phil said, read as much as you can. Uh, mm. uh, leaders are readers, as we all have heard, and it's true. And so read, read to lead by <laughs> Jeff Brown. Uh, <laughs> As Phil said, read Daniel Lebetsky's book. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it, if you do read our book, we hope you like it. Um, mm. We had a blast writing it together, and, and we're so excited for future writing projects. Mm. Phil, what would you say to, to bring things home? I forgot that we were coming on your podcast and that that was the name of both the show and the, and the book and, and the tweet. <laughs> but I'm not a big social guy, and candidly, I wouldn't be on there at all if it wasn't trying to just get, you know, get our work out and then, you know, yeah. share the work of others like Daniel Lebetsky and Steve Kerr with a bigger audience. And like you said, the Tammy Jo Schultz story was widely reported, but for some reason, probably because she's a woman, she doesn't have a TV deal or uh, there isn't a Sully movie. There should mm. be about yeah. her and her husband. They're amazing. You know, Nick Peters is literally at the fire line every single day and is, is keeping these young guys and girls safe. And Nick Gill is humbly working behind the scenes and is the most humble, genuine guy, despite the fact his employer is the most successful sports team in national sports team history. A lot of unsung heroes in this book, and there are a lot of unsung mm. heroes out there every day. People that are, it may be as simple as, again, going back to Lebetsky, what is your act of kindness? How can you serve for the day? So. Mm. Do you open a door when you see a mom with a toddler on, on you know, holding her hand slash pulling back the other way and a baby yeah. on the other hip? Do you let someone come out in front of you at a stop sign when you're not sure who kept got to the four-way stop first? Like, <laughs> simple, simple acts that don't mm. seem like much, but common courtesy. Like, how can you apply common courtesy? And... And again, Jim, Jim often speaks about gratitude, like everything is better with gratitude, even punctuating each day with one person you're thankful for, one thing you're thankful for. Yep. And Jeff, we're thankful to you uh, for having us on today. 
Well, thank you, guys. Uh, a reminder, the book, again, is called The Leader's Mind, How Great Leaders Prepare, Perform, and Prevail, a book that is well worth your time. Jim, thank you. Phil, thank you for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, sir. Pleasure is all ours. I don't know about you, but I've got a couple of books I want to dig into more deeply in addition to the one that we featured today. To find that information and get a summary of today's episode, you can visit the show notes page. That is at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 401 for episode 401. And speaking of books, if you haven't checked out my book, I hope you'll consider picking that up. Over 60 ratings and reviews on Amazon. 4.9 stars is the average rating. You can find out more about it at readtoleadbook.com. It's called Read to Lead, the simple habit that expands your influence and boosts your career. Again, that's at readtoleadbook.com. And I hope you'll remember our sponsor, ScriptCo, at scriptco.com to save on your medications, S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com for more. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.